0: Well, thank you um, for having me. Yeah, I got the call yesterday from a friend of a friend. Um, so I I have not um, met Kevin. I don't know Kevin. So um, Kevin, if you're watching the live stream, <laughs> I'm Matt. Good to meet you. Where's the camera over there? <laughs> Good to meet you. So um, yeah, a little bit about a little bit about me. Um, so I, I have three boys, uh, three teenage boys. Um, so, I know what it's like to be in the emergency room with, with your kids. That's not easy. That is, oh, that is hard. The weight of, of um, knowing your kid is in, in pain like that, that is, it is very hard. So, my heart, my prayers go out to, uh, to Kevin and Michaela uh, today, and I'm sure uh, you guys as well. Um, so uh, yeah, I, so I'm a father of three boys. Yesterday we just completed our first successful um, duck hunt on the Platte River. Um, we had a blast. Good thing it didn't end in, in the emergency room visit. I was, it was just a great day between us. we got seven um, ducks. Some of you are like, now you hate me because you, we shoot these ducks but uh, um, we're, gonna, we're gonna feast on those this afternoon. Um, so I work with a missionary organization called Servants of Christ International. Uh, my role is the overseeing the pastoral care to our 50 missionaries. We have 50 missionaries that are all are around the world from, from Denver. We have several in Denver, uh, Dominican Republic, Philippines, all over Africa. And um, my job is to be in contact with them and be praying for them. Um, COVID has been really, really rough on our missionaries, as you can imagine. We have missionaries that, that came home during COVID because they had to and then couldn't go back. Um, just in the last several months, uh, we've had mission, some of our missionaries have been able to go back. Um, others were not able to go back. And when you're not on the field sending pictures and casting vision with your supporters, your um, giving goes way down. And so some of our missionaries during the last two and a half years have uh, uh, had to move on and and do something else. COVID has been really, really rough on on our missionaries. And, you know, it's been really, really rough on churches, too. And maybe this church has experienced this. Uh, In an article a year ago, which if you could remember, a year ago, COVID was pretty much over. A year ago now. COVID was pretty much over and churches were totally um, back to normal. Uh, churches had reported and are still reporting um, losing between 30 and 50% of their congregation. People didn't come back. Church is different post, post-COVID. post It's different. It's been really hard on churches and it's been really hard on pastors as well. Um, some some statistics about pastors during covid uh, this came out in March 2022, so not long ago, what, about nine months ago, I guess, seven, eight, eight months ago, that um, 42% of our pastors have considered leaving the ministry, leaving the full-time ministry, just during COVID, because it was hard. Imagine uh, um, putting yourself in the shoes of the elite pastor. He's got to decide if you're going to meet, when you're going to meet, and um, when you're going to wear masks or if you're not going to wear masks and and how you're going to approach this whole COVID thing. And guess what? He can't win. Because either way, half the congregation is going to say, oh, you're disobeying the the authorities and so you don't love Jesus. (laughs) The other half of the congregation is going to say, well, you're not trusting Jesus enough. Man, COVID was really really rough on pastors, and we're seeing pastors um, fall out of ministry like I, I think we've never have before in North America. Uh, there are so many open churches, so many churches without a pastor right now. You guys are incredibly blessed to have Kevin that he's here, and he, he is stuck with it. Um, I think one of the hardest, one of the hardest, if not the hardest, I'm going to say the hardest job in the world is to be the pastor of a small church. Being a pastor of a large church is hard too. I've been in large churches. I was a youth pastor in a large church. It's hard. Being a pastor of a small church is really hard because you pretty much do everything. You do everything. Um, let me give you some statistics about uh, Kevin. Kevin doesn't know me. He didn't know um, I was going to be here and say this stuff today. And so, uh, which is great for me because I can I can say whatever I want. He can tell me not to, He can't tell me not to say it, right? Um, so I'm going to talk about pastors for a few minutes before I get into my main message. I'm going to talk about the state of pastors. Um, this is pre-COVID. Uh, uh, in August uh, 2019, there was a study. Hartford Institute. Of- Institute of Religious Research said that 83% of clergy spouses wanted their spouse to quit the ministry because of the adverse effect it has on their families. 83% spouses say, hey, you got to get out. This is hurting our family. Um, Duke Divinity School of Clergy Health, they did an initiative in, in 2013 and this is what they um, said. They said, depression rates in clergy are double. The national average. So the average person and how they experience depression. Well, um, more likely, twice as likely, uh, a pastor is going to struggle from depression. That 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 is a sobering statistic. Um, two thousand two. Uh, this is you know eighteen years before COVID. Um. Protestant clergy have the highest overall work-related stress and next to the lowest personal resources to cope with the occupational stress. This comes from the Journal of Pastoral Care and Counseling. Um, so, so you get that they have a huge amount of stress, but the least amount of personal resources to help with that stress. So, let me give you an example. Um, when somebody who uh, um, uh, you know has a job where they're overseeing, um, you know. Thirty or four or fifty people, right? It's probably somebody who's a CEO of an organization that gets paid probably um, three, four, five, six times uh, the amount that a lead pastor in a small church makes, and he can pay to have somebody mow his lawn, right? Or he can um, pay for the kind of counseling that he needs, or the kind of stress relief that comes when you can afford a boat <laughs> or, a, or a vacation, right? Well, pastors have the least amount of resources to deal with the amount of stress, the inordinate amount of stress that, that comes with being a lead pastor. And I'm telling you this because I want to help you love your pastor well. And this is stuff that he can't say to you, right? Pastor Kevin can't say this stuff to you, but I, but I can. Um, uh, in the last two and a half years, the heat has really been turned up on pastors, it's really been turned up. It's become very stressful. And not just because COVID, but because our culture is so radically changing. We have become what is called a post-truth culture. Have you heard of, heard of that term, post-truth culture? For the most part in our culture, uh, th- th- people don't believe in truth. There is no truth. And, and if you stand for truth and believe in church, uh, tr- truth, you are considered an, in- an enemy of the culture. Kevin gets up here every week. I listened to his sermon from last week, at least parts of it. And he gets up here each week and he stands with this in his hand and he says, this is truth. There is truth. And in this culture, when you stand for truth, the arrows fly. And do you know, biblically, where the arrows, for the most part, come from, in the body of Christ, they come from From the body of Christ. Don't let that be the case here. Love your pastor well. Do you love your church? Yeah. The best way to love your church is to love your pastor well. And I think you're doing it. I think you are. From what I hear, and the positive things that you've already said this morning about Kevin, it sounds like you're doing that well. Um, let me just put a little bug in your ear because maybe some of you weren't, weren't, don't know about this. Um, maybe you're not on social media or you don't listen to Caleb. Um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month. We just passed October. Um, I, I hope that you guys did something awesome for Kevin. If not, it's not too late. Do something awesome for him and his family, um, especially around the Thanksgiving and Christmas season. And now with this sickness, it is incredibly hard. It's an incredibly stressful time. For pastors, getting ready for the guests that are coming at Christmas and, and, and at Christmas you're expected to preach an amazing series and and, and and you're supposed to be on your A game and here they are starting the season sick, pray for Kevin pray for his family love him well um, before I get into my, the next part of my message can, can we just have a special prayer for Kevin and his family right now um, let me do that Father, you are good and you are in control Father, I feel the love for Kevin and his family in this place. Father, I pray that that would continue on. God, we pray for healing for this family. God, we pray that as this uh, Christmas season is approaching, God, that your special grace would be on this family and that you would bring healing. And you would give him the energy that he needs. Give him the, the, the resources to deal with the stress that comes from being the lead pastor at a church. Father, bring healing. God, may they know your peace and presence, even in that hospital room right now, may they know your peace, your presence, and your healing. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing, one more thing. There's a book, it's called, um, oh, I have it written down. There's a book, it's about pastors. It's called, um, um, Pastors Are People Too. Okay, write this down. It, it, pastors Are People Too. Uh, last name Dodson the author Dodson D-O-D-S-O-N pastors are people too I think it's like 15 bucks on Amazon usually I bring some and I can give them to the congregation but I didn't have much notice to get some and bring them to, to give away to you but um, get this book pastors are people too it'll tell you all about um, pastors and how they think in the, the struggles that they go through love your church love Kevin read this book over the next few weeks or the, or the next month Pastor. Pastors are people too. Author Dodson. Um, if you need that, again, after the service, let me know and I can give you the information on that. Okay, good. Um, 28,835 days. 28,835 days. Any random guess about how, how many years that is? 28,800, without doing the math, Twenty-eight thousand eight hundred and thirty-five days. How many years? Seventy-nine years. That's the average lifespan for somebody in North America. Seventy-nine years. Um, Twenty-eight thousand eight hundred and thirty-five days. Does that sound like a lot? When I first read it, I, you know, when somebody said to me, "How many days do you think a person lives?" I would be like, like, like twenty million or something like that. No. 28,835 days. Me, I've been alive 17,437 days. The clock is counting. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. The scripture tells us this in the Psalms. It says, uh, um, teach us, it's a prayer, teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we can gain wisdom heart of wisdom today i want to talk about wasting your life don't waste your life you know what it's not your life anyways don't waste your life it's not yours don't waste your life misdefining success don't waste your life not understanding the master because life is too short life is too short uh, we're going to be in Matthew 25. If you want to turn there with me, or we're going to have it on the screen, I'm going to read it. It's a very, very familiar passage, the parable of the talents. Sometimes we call it the parable of the talents. Uh, let me give a little bit of background. Um, the disciples were with Jesus, and they asked him, they said, um, tell us about what it's going to be like in the end. In the end times, tell us what it's going to be like. And Jesus answers with this story. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to, uh, to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five more talents. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground, and he hid his master's money. Now, let me talk about talents just a little bit, and we'll keep reading. So a talent, uh, scholars tell us it's somewhere between $600,000 and $1.2 million today. It was a lot. The point is, it's a big amount of money. And so if you've ever seen, like on a game show or something, there's a pallet full of money, and that's a million dollars. It's like a pallet full, right? So the talent is just not, sometimes when you think of a talent like as a coin, it's it's much more than that. It's big. In fact, talent uh, was a measurement of weight back then, right? It, 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 It was a measurement of weight. So a talent was big. So this guy that went and buried his talent, that took some work. That wasn't just a simple like garden shovel. That was a lot of work. So he worked really hard to bury this talent. Uh, Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. I have made uh, two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Let me ask the question right there. What do we know of the master so far? We know he seems to be a generous man, right? We know he seems to be a man that gives opportunity. He seems to be kind because he's giving these uh, workers, these servants, opportunity. So far, it seems like he's a good man. Okay, that's what we know of him. Let's keep reading. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. How did he know him to be a hard man? Because we didn't. And the other guys didn't know him to be a hard man. Reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So there's a sense that he's accusing him of being a thief. Uh, So I was afraid, and I went, and hid your tail in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have no seeds? Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at at my coming, I should have received um, that which was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has more, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But... From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast, and cast the worthless servant into out, utter darkness, in the place that will, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a place of deep regret. Now, um, th- this place uh, of. Uh, this place, uh, this place that it talks about here, um, when we at first look, we think this might be hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that was a euphemism in the in the New Testament for a, a place of deep regret. Okay, there is hell. I don't think that this verse is talking about hell. I think it's talking about a place of deep, deep, a place of just deep regret, deep regret. So this servant. Is cast into a place of, of deep, deep regret because he wasted his life. Don't waste your life. It is not your life. In Psalms chapter 50, verse 12, the word is mine and everyth- the world is mine and everything in it. That's God speaking. In 1 Corinthians 6, we learn that um, th- uh, this life is not even our own. It's not our own. The master is coming for his twenty eight thousand eight hundred and thirty-five days. He's coming don't waste your life anybody ever borrow something and then you have to return it broken or lend something out and then it comes back broken what a terrible feeling right about a year and a half ago, my boys and I and my wife, we were in Virginia, and I was at a friend's house. He's got a big property. He's got this boat, and he stayed with us there for a few days, and then he had to go back to work. and He was going to leave us to stay at this vacation home for a week, and as he was leaving, he said, Here's the keys to the boat, and it's this very, very nice boat, worth more than I could make in a year, this boat. And I, I know boats. I grew up with boats. And we, at one time in my life, I had a boat. And so he's here's here's the keys to the boat. And we were so excited. Um, we went out on the boat. And uh, my son, my 12-year-old son, was um, uh, uh, wakeboarding behind the boat. And, and, and we're just going along. He's wakeboarding. And all of a sudden, the boat just stops, like dead in the water, stops. And my heart stopped at the same time, along with my wife. And so um, we struggled to know what to do. Um, it wouldn't start. Um, what ended up happening is, is we, we had ran it aground on this uh, sandbar that, that wasn't marked. I had no idea the sandbar was there. It was on the, uh, this river that was, uh, goes into the Chesapeake Bay, and so um, it was subject to the tides, but it was in the river part that was also su- subject to the tides. And a- anyways, we all got out and we pushed it off the uh, sandbar and I was so scared that I had just ruined my friend's boat. But there no, was no problem. We didn't break it. I, he never found out. So hopefully <laughs> he's not watching. Never found out what happened. Nothing broke. But um, there's that sinking feeling when you break something, it's not yours. Your life is not yours. Don't waste your 28,835 days. Because the master, he will return. And we're going to be held accountable for the, the, those days. Um, don't waste your life thinking that it's your life. It is not your life. Don't waste your life thinking it's your life. Don't waste your life misdefining defining success. It's the master who defines success. Success. It's not us. It's his life. He defines success. Uh, all my boys, they, they played t-ball when they were little. And my uh, second son, he was four years old, and he was on this team of uh, four, four-year-olds. 4 And uh, w- the way they would um, do this league is you would show up an hour early and practice, and then the game was the second hour. And so the, first, the very first game, they had only practiced together an hour. You ever been to a t-ball game with four-year-olds? It's it's fun. So the first kid gets up to bat. And the tee's on the ball, and he swings, and he he hits hits the ball, and he goes running to third base. (laughs) And the mom's chasing him, grabs him, get back here, try again, uh, go to first base. And so he went to first base. The next kid gets up, hits the ball, and he runs to first base and just keeps on going, (laughs) keeps on going. And the mom is chasing him. It was awesome. Next kid gets up hits the ball, and it just goes, it kind of rolls towards the pitcher. The kid drops the bat, and he goes after the ball. And everybody on the field, including, including the kid who hit the ball, go after the ball, and they're like wrestling and fighting over the ball. Wrong game. <laughs> they were trying to play more like football. It's funny when we talk about kids who don't really understand success when it comes to t-ball. It's funny. It's cute. But it's not funny, and it's not cute, when an adult doesn't know what success is like. It's not funny when an adult is living their life and doesn't understand the purpose of what we were created for. Um, How how many have heard this phrase before? Uh, um, Express, uh, I think the answer is going to be no because it's a very few. Expressive individualism. You ever heard that phrase? Expressive individualism. Well, you're going to understand in just a second. Uh, in our culture, there is this idea that the ultimate goal in life is that you get to express what's in your heart. And so a life well-lived is that if you've been true to yourself, you've heard that kind of thing? If you've been true to yourself, then, then you've done it, and, and you've lived a successful life. That's what, what expressive individualism is. Or uh, here's a more um, common thing that I know you've heard. Uh, Follow your heart. Follow your heart and it's not going to misguide you. And in our culture, we think this is such a noble thing. Oh, lived a life that followed his heart. Well, what if tomorrow morning, my heart told me that I didn't love my wife anymore and that my family didn't need me then would it be okay for me to just get up and leave my wife and my family because my heart told me to? Or what if my heart told me tomorrow morning I shouldn't get up and go to work because I'm tired and I want to sleep in and i followed my heart. Oh, how noble that is. Scripture tells us that the heart is wicked. In Jeremiah 17, the heart is wicked above all else. The heart is wicked. The goal in life is not that we follow our heart. Sounds so noble in our culture, but it's not. Um, Success is not following our heart. In fact, we uh, see what success is like in in Scripture. In Isaiah, God is speaking and he says, I created you for my glory. He created the world for his glory. You you know what glory is? In in Lakewood, Colorado, we can't really see this, but, but out here you can see it when you start driving west. The mountains. We can't see them in Lakewood because we're right up against them. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, glory is is when you look at those mountains and you just don't have words. You just have this feeling that wow. You just don't have words. That's glory. That's glory. What Scripture tells us is that our role is to give glory to God. Meaning we are to go. Isn't He awesome? Look how great He is. Isn't He beautiful? That's our role, is to give him glory. Not to make ourselves look great, but to make him look great. A few weeks ago, we all put away our lawnmowers, and we got out our snow blowers, right? Now, uh, if we got um, six inches of snow tonight, and we got out our lawnmowers, our lawnmowers are probably going to be broken. They're not going to do a good job of blowing the snow. Because that's not what they were created for. Our snowblower is going to be happy and going to have joy when it gets to work and blow the snow because that's what it was created for. When we live out what we were created for, joy follows and good things follow. Don't waste your life not knowing the definition of success. The definition of success is did I give him glory? Did I make God look awesome? Our purpose with our 28,835 days is to make him look awesome don't waste your life it's not your life don't waste your life not knowing success and don't waste your life not knowing the master see as we pointed out earlier the one servant with the one talent he didn't know the master he had it wrong in his head and he was held accountable for not knowing the master the other guys they seem to know the master this guy didn't know the master. And he's held accountable. Don't waste your life not knowing the master. In verse 24, he says, I knew you to be a hard man. But that's not what we knew him to be. Um, we were given, uh, he's somehow given a false lens of the master. You know what I mean? Lens like glasses. He, what he saw through when he saw the master, it was false. I find it no coincidence. And when we think of the, the world's leading atheist, uh, the new atheist. Um, one of them recently, two of them have recently passed away, but I'm going to talk about some of them. Um, uh, Frederick Nietzsche, not considered a new atheist, but Frederick Nietzsche, when he was two years old, um, uh, he was four years old, his father died. Right? Um, he is the one that wrote the book, God is Dead. I find it no coincidence that the leading atheists, every one of them, have some sort of father trauma. The lens that they were given to see father, the, the, the name father is, is very distorted and broken. Christopher Hitchens, maybe you've heard that name. He grew up in the orphanages of uh, Great Britain. He learned at a young age that father wasn't going to be around, that father wasn't there to protect him. He talked very openly in his books about the sexual abuse that he um, uh, went, went through when he was in these orphanages. Uh, Sam Harris, when he was two years old, his father left. And he didn't have a relationship with his father until he was an adult. It is no coincidence that that these men who, who are shouting and are the most vocal atheists have father trauma in their lives. The lens that they've been given when they think of father is not that he's generous, it's not that he protects, it's not that he loves, but it is more like this. It's more like a father leaves, father is gone. Father is not there to protect me. Father is a hard man. Father hurts mother. Father doesn't exist. In the story, the servant somehow got a, a false lens of master. In our lives, it's very common that we get a false lens for looking at the Heavenly Father. A lens that perhaps our own fathers gave us. And in the end, the master uh, um, holds responsible the servant for getting the wrong lens. Don't waste your life misunderstanding the father. We will be held responsible for what we think about the father. Don't waste your life not knowing the master um, in John 14, 9, we, we can we read that um, Jesus says to see me is to see the Father. In John 10, 30, um, Jesus says I and the Father are one. When we um, have been given th- th- this lens to see the Father through Jesus, what do we know about Jesus? We know that he was kind, he was compassionate, he was loving, he was strong, he wasn't afraid of of. of uh, confrontation and, and conflict, and at the same time he was tender. He had no problem getting down on his knees and, and loving the children. He said, bring the children to me, right? Let this provide the lens for Father. Let Jesus reshape your lens when it comes to the word Father. And for those of you that in the room that are fathers, that are dads, you have about 6,600 days until your kid turns eighteen, for you to shape his lens, her lens, of how they see father—that's a huge task. Six thousand six hundred days we have. Uh, one of my sons—I'm on the negative. He, he graduated in, in, in June, but he's still still with me. But um, man, the weight of being a father. Um, Jesus was kind. He was compassionate. He was generous. Don't waste your 28,835 days. It's not yours. Know what success is, is like and how it's defined and know the master. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Um, perhaps uh, you're, you're here today. You are here today. If you're here today, uh, you have more days. That's the good news. You have more days. And our Father in heaven is good and kind and compassionate and loving and forgiving. And so maybe you're, you're here today and you thought it was your life. You thought it was yours. It belonged to you. And you've been living for yourself. Well, you have more days. You have more days. You can change that. Give your life to Jesus. Live for Him. That's why you're here. Make Him look great. That's why you're here. Perhaps you're here today and uh, um, you've been given a false lens. Maybe from your own father. You can ask Jesus... To give you new lenses when it comes to the word Father. Um, Let him reshape what it looks like when you hear the word Father. Um, Ephesians 2, we read that it is by grace that we are saved. And that even our faith is a gift from God, the Father. This is a loving Father who had sent his Son to die on the cross for us. It should have been us. We're the ones that offended God so greatly. Our sin, it should have been us. But out of love, Jesus, representing the Father, stretched out his arms and showed us how much he loves us. A good father is willing to die, willing to sacrifice for his children. Let Jesus reshape um, your vision For Father, on the cross, we learned that um, the Father is love. We learned about um, grace. In the resurrection, we learned about his power. Don't waste your 28,835 days. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are a good Father. And Father, I can admit that sometimes I have a lens. When I hear the word "Father," it's not perfect. None of us has a perfect lens. We would ask that you would reshape our lens, Jesus. We um, we want our lives to define success the way that you define success. We don't want our lives to be wasted. Show us what it looks like to not waste our lives and and, and to make you look great and to give you glory. And Father, we pray that you would continue to be with us this morning as we close this service. And we uh, again pray for Kevin and his family. And God, that we would hear stories of healing this week. Stories of miracles. God, encourage Kevin and his family as as, uh, he leads this church, your church.